After this, I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding back the four winds of the earth to prevent any wind from blowing on the land or on the sea or on any tree. Then I saw another angel coming up from the east, having the seal of the living God. He called out in a loud voice to the four angels who had been given power to harm the land and the sea. Do not harm the land or the sea or the trees until we put a seal on the foreheads of the servants of our God. Then I heard the number of those who were sealed, 144,000 from all the tribes of Israel. From the tribe of Judah, 12,000 were sealed. From the tribe of Reuben, 12,000. From the tribe of Gad, 12,000. From the tribe of Asher, 12,000. From the tribe of Naphtali, 12,000. From the tribe of Manasseh, 12,000. From the tribe of Simeon, 12,000. From the tribe of Levi, 12,000. From the tribe of Issachar, 12,000. From the tribe of Zebulun, 12,000. From the tribe of Joseph, 12,000. From the tribe of Benjamin, 12,000. After this, I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands, and they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne, and to the Lamb. All the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures. They fell down on their faces before the throne and worshipped God, saying, Amen. Praise and glory and wisdom and thanks and honour and power and strength be to our God for ever and ever. Amen. Then one of the elders asked me, These in white robes, who are they, and where did they come from? I answered, Sir, you know. And he said, These are they who have come out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. Never again will they hunger. Never again will they thirst. The sun will not beat down on them, nor any scorching heat. For the lamb at the centre of the throne will be their shepherd. He will lead them to springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Lord, we thank you so much that we can be here today meeting in person, especially after all the COVID restrictions. And we thank you that we meet as your children, such that we can call you Abba 
Father, and we thank you for the gift and the privilege of your word, the word of truth. And Lord, we pray that you would strengthen and use John today. We thank you for his integrity, and we thank you for the desire of his heart, which means that he wants to preach the word with authenticity. So we bring back to you that desire as a reflection of your own, that he might preach not by power nor by might, but by your Holy Spirit. And we pray for ourselves as well, that we would sit under your word, not alongside it, nor above it. We pray that your word might find a resting place in our hearts, that we might be conformed increasingly unto the image of Christ and usable in your hands. Thank you, Lord. Amen. There was great excitement in Nottingham about this time last year because overnight a picture had appeared on a wall just about a mile from where our church building is. It was a picture of a hula hooping girl with a bicycle. People came to look at it. Social media was ablaze with possibilities and then came the news that we were all waiting for. Banksy confirmed that it was his artwork. It was authentic. It was genuine. Well, after this, then it really did go crazy. People queued around the block to have their photograph taken by it. News crews came from all over the country, probably elsewhere. But one of the first things that then happened was that a, perspex, a clear perspex screen was put up to protect the artwork, to protect the picture. And Revelation 7 gives us two things. It gives us, firstly, a picture of protection, and secondly, a picture of praise. Protection that is more than being just protected by a perspex sheet, and praise that is even well beyond the excitement of having a Banksy appear in your city. So let's look at the first eight verses, a picture of protection. The, the, the protection is not a perspex screen, but you'll see in verses two and three that it is a seal, a seal. And we'll find resonances there with the Passover in Exodus, with what John sees in this vision. The servants of God receive a seal that will shelter them from the judgment of God. The people of God are a protected people. In the ultimate sense, of course, we're protected from the wrath of God in the final judgment because that wrath has been poured out on Jesus at the cross. And also, as God's people, we are protected in the suffering and sorrow of life in this fallen world. That doesn't mean that we're protected from all suffering but that we are protected in suffering. We're kept during suffering. We are secure in suffering. And so in Revelation 7, it's this sense of, of spiritual protection that's pictured here. After all, John doesn't need us to remind him that Christians suffer. He was on exile, in exile on the island of Patmos for his Christian faith. 
But for for John and for the churches that he wrote to in the Roman Empire, they were kept in the midst of the trials and the sufferings they faced because they were sealed. They belonged to the living God. They were his servants. They were protected. They were secure. Over these last couple of years, we've heard a lot about resilience, haven't we? And rightly, it's very helpful. How has your resilience been in church leadership? How has your resilience as a Christian been? Well, whatever trials you have faced in the last couple of years, or whatever trial or trials you're facing right now, know that if you belong to Jesus, he will keep you. He will strengthen you. Your life is marked by the blood of Jesus and you are sealed with the Spirit. We are secure. And that is the foundation of our resilience. And then next in this picture of protection, we see the list of the 144,000 in verses 4 to 8. And I take it that that number is not a statistic, but it's a symbol of the whole people of God, Jewish and Gentile. The point is that it demonstrates completeness, that not one is missing, no one is missing. During the the, the Falklands War, um, well, I was only, I was about one year old at the time, so I don't remember it, but I studied it at university, I studied politics. And during the Falklands War, there was a, a reporter by the name of Brian Hanrahan, He was embedded with the British task force. And his most famous report came from the deck of an aircraft carrier with the task force. And he famously in that report said this, I'm not allowed to say how many planes joined the raid, but I counted them all out and I counted them all back. He wrote a a book by that title, I counted them all out and I counted them all back. And that's what these verses are saying about God's people. God knows each and every one. He counts them all out. And he counts them all back. And you and I are in this number. So whatever the battles the Lord sends you out into... He counts you out, and he counts you back. So he counted you out as he sent you to face all that the pandemic has thrown at you in life and in leadership. And he counts you back in. He counts you back in to refuel, to rest, to recover to be recommissioned. And I think days like this today, as we gather today from different places, can be really helpful and play a really important role in that. He counts us out. And he counts us back in. So we see a picture of protection in the first half of the chapter. Then in the second half, we see a picture of praise. Have a look at verse 9. Here is a great multitude that no one could count. 
from every nation, tribe, people, and language. Now, we could spend a long time in that verse. I mean, we'll be spending eternity in that verse, experiencing it. The vastness of the people of God. A people who are ethnically and nationally diverse. No hint of bigotry, no prejudice, no racism. Won't that be a glorious time? When there's truly no room for racism. God's people, it goes on, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands. And as we read these verses and others in the Bible, I sometimes wonder, do we, do we lose that sense of awe that we have access to the presence of God? Do we lose that sense of awe? I grew up in Derbyshire. I live in Nottingham. But I'm actually an Aston Villa supporter. So any other Villa fans in? Yeah, yeah just me and Colin, great. <laughs> well, one of my most memorable visits to Villa Park came a few years ago when the, the brother of a good friend of mine was on the coaching staff at the time. And my friend's brother arranged for me and my family to have tickets to the players' lounge before the match so we could enjoy some tea and coffee and, and biscuits along with it. They weren't fancy biscuits, you wouldn't believe it. It was very ordinary biscuits. Uh, along with the families of the players, uh, 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 with the, of the families of the, the players and the, and the staff, and some of the players who weren't in the match day squad that day were actually there too. And I can remember vividly being kind of nervously excited as I walked up the steps into the room, and then I can remember seeing some actual Villa players that I was in the same room as. I was awestruck to be sitting two tables away from our third-choice goalkeeper. <laughs> now, if I was awestruck by that, why am I not more regularly in reverent awe that we're in the presence of God? And if we were then we'd be doing what the multitude is doing in verse 10. They cried out in a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Not a restrained, reserved whimper, but loud and joyful. Not self-congratulation, but praise to God. We hear something of their story in verse 14. These are they who come out of the great tribulation. They've washed their robes, made them white in the blood of the Lamb. And these verses might have particular relevance for particular Christians who've come through intense persecution. But actually, I take it that this applies to all of God's people, all the trials and tests. Glory comes after suffering. The cross before the crown, as it was for Christ, so it is for us. And these verses are here to encourage us as Christians in the midst of our struggles and our sufferings, our tests and our trials. And in the middle of those, we're given this picture of protection and this picture of praise. And in this, we then see a picture of the glorious future for all the Lord's people. Look at verse 15 onwards. Therefore, 
They are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. Never again will they hunger. Never again will they thirst. The sun will not beat down on them, nor any scorching heat. For the lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd. He will lead them to springs of living water. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. When you read these verses, don't you feel that sense of of, of longing? This is the kind of life for which we yearn, the kind of life for which we were created. Sheltered. Protected. Provided for. For the lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd. In Revelation 5, we see that the lion is the lamb. And in Revelation 7, we see that the lamb is the shepherd. And you know, we, we will arrive in glory with our eyes still wet from tears. That's how we'll arrive. But our Lord won't, he won't sign posters to another service provider. Our Lord won't pass us a box of tissues. He won't tell us to read a book. He won't even send us on a conference. Our Lord will lead them to springs of living water. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. That's the glorious future. That's our glorious future. That's the worship that we have to look forward to and that our worship now should be shaped by the worship that's to come. You know, I was interested to read what the the BBC News Arts editor, a guy called Will Gompertz, I was interested to read what he said about the Nottingham Banksy after the wall that it was on was purchased and actually removed by a buyer from elsewhere. So the Nottingham Banksy is no longer in Nottingham. Don't come and see it. But Will Gompert said this, and listen to this. In art world terms, this would be described as a site-specific work, meaning Banksy specifically chose that location for that work, and that's what made it successful. Don't forget Nottingham's relationship with bicycles and bicycle-making with Raleigh, the most famous of many firms. And Banksy would have been aware of all this. It was intended to be there, enjoyed by people, to be a social comment. It wasn't Banksy's intention that it be chipped off the wall and taken somewhere else. My own view is the work is substantially diminished diminished by removing it because the work was so site-specific because it was responding to the bike on the lamppost, because it was responding to the history of Nottingham, it worked so well in that spot. When you remove it, it is diminished. 
It doesn't say the same things. And I think it is worth less. Not worthless, but worth less. And I just sense, if I can put it like this, that maybe some here today just need to know that God has chosen you as, as it were, a site-specific believer. Perhaps even for some of you, you need to be reminded that God has chosen you as a site-specific leader. God's chosen you and placed you where you are now for a purpose, a work of great worth, part of the global picture that God is painting. So as you think, where is it that the Lord has placed you? And as you look at your specific site, see this picture of protection and this picture of praise and see the glorious future in the glorious normal. Let's bow our heads as we take some time in an attitude and posture of worship. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for revealing to us once again, for reminding us once again of this glorious future, worshiping, serving, loving your glorious Son. Thank you for the protection it reveals Thank you for the praise that it stirs up in us. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for our site-specific calling. We want to treasure that and value it, for it is a gift from you. And please, may we serve you with our eyes on this great future we ask. Thank you for the privilege of belonging to your people. Thank you for the privilege of serving your people. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this resource from FIEC. For more resources for church leaders, subscribe to this podcast on your favourite podcast app and visit our website at fiec.org.uk.